We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. The old saying in Buffalo is, if you don't like the weather, wait a few minutes. Yeah, I just wanted to see him do good, you know. And then, uh, then after halftime there, all of a sudden the, the announcements came on, and holy cow, it got wild on the phone there for a while. But, uh, no, it was an enjoyable that, that I was able to be a part to help one of them team members. It doesn't matter which one. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, who's ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that Chris was Squirrel. <laughs> Squirrel Winters. Winters. North Collins alumnus. Hell yeah. Woo! Yeah. North Collins for the win, baby. I didn't know that he, uh, Josh Allen, lived down that far south. I don't think he. I think Squirrel moved a little bit north, but either way, he's part of the famous Winters family from Winters Rigging and uh, and like it's a huge, it's a big thing down in North Collins. They have their own pond. They have their own pond. That's interesting to know. <laughs> All right, we before we even like get into what happened yesterday because we are recording this on monday night because we're playing the lions thursday so this is a dry podcast for me because i gotta go to work later tonight but uh, let me start off with our sounder yes breaking news it is official allegedly the guy that reported this Got the athletic director hire correct, Lane Kiffin, to the Plains of Auburn, Alabama. Lane Kiffin is going to be the coach of Auburn. Yes. It's leaving Ole Miss for Auburn. So now our – I can't wait for next year's Iron Bowl. <laughs> so I know everybody knows that, that's listening knows that Drew likes Alabama for some reason. I – I don't consider myself to be a fan of Auburn, but my brother did graduate from Auburn. So if every weekend I had to watch one college football game, I would choose Auburn because my brother knows that I'm into all of the sports and he'll like text me stuff about Auburn football or like a new hire or a player and I'll have better information than he does about said player. So I pull for Auburn because my brother's a graduate of Auburn. So this has just made the iron future Iron Bowls are going to be amazing. Lane Kiffin. 
and Nick Saban. All I can think of is that song, Runaway Lane. <laughs> Runaway Lane that they wrote after he bailed out. From Tennessee. From Tennessee. You know, his last appointment at a major SEC school. I don't consider Ole Miss an, a major SEC school. You know why? Because they don't contend in a damn thing. Yeah, the uh, there, here's a tweet from uh, Michael David Smith. Lane Kiffin is... He's only 47, and he's already been the head coach of the Oakland Raiders, Tennessee Volunteers, USC Trojans, Florida Atlantic, Old Miss, and now reportedly Auburn. How is it that, that, like, he's like Kramer. He just keeps failing, like, he keeps falling ass backwards into good things. Well, uh, I don't, well, I don't know. He, he was one of the youngest ever NFL head coaches. Yeah, how'd that go? He did. He did okay. <laughs> he, he did Hugh Jackson ask. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, Hugh Hugh Jackson his had. I think he was the coach of the Raiders for one season, and he yes. went nine and seven, and then they fired him. Yes, but that was when like the Raiders were. But then, wait, went, what do you mean? You were about to say when they were bad? No, they've yeah. always been bad. They've been yeah. bad for our whole lifetime, Chris. They've been terrible. Yeah, but then when he <laughs> gets into college. You know, he. Yeah, how many great programs has he overseen? Well, he was one year at Tennessee. Yep. Because the USC job came available. Yep. And he was like, well, I'm never going to win if I'm here in the SEC. <laughs> no, well, USC at that time, I think, was a better job than Tennessee. Tennessee hasn't, like, outside of this year, Tennessee hasn't been that great since Peyton Manning. And then he went to, uh, I think, after USC, he needed to revamp his image and that's where he went to Alabama for the OC and then worked his way back up the head coaching ranks with going to Florida Atlantic and then Ole Miss and now Auburn dude I can't wait for the Iron Bowl next year we're gonna be throwing some Seagram's bets down on uh, the 2023 Iron Bowl I, I, I already think this is hilarious I I, I I've had too many beers to properly take this in. Holy shit, is it hilarious? Yeah. Auburn thinks they found their next Gus Melzahn because, you know, he took him so far. The best thing I liked about Gus Melzahn was after victories, him and his wife would go to Waffle House for dinner. That's that's the appropriate place for Gus Melzahn. He belongs in a Waffle House. Well, he was Gus Melzahn was a high school coach and then within like three or four years worked his way up at Auburn and then went to Arkansas State and then came back to Auburn to be their head coach. I mean, I believe he was the head coach for the kick six. I believe no one gives a fuck. No one cares. They're terrible. Yeah, and where did they? what did they do? They lost the national title. I can't wait to watch them lose more. Yeah, we'll have Seagram's bets next year for the uh, Iron Bowl. Ah, uh, that... Let's get let's just get right into this because I'm I'm already mad talking about fucking Auburn on a Bills podcast. Week eleven recap: Bills thirty one, Browns twenty three. Here's your stats of the game: Jacoby Brissett twenty eight of forty one, three hundred and twenty four yards, three touchdowns with no picks, one sack, a one hundred and sixteen point three rating. Josh Allen eighteen to twenty seven, one ninety seven, one touchdown. Two sacks, a 104 rating. Jacoby Brissett led all quarterbacks in Week 11 with a 24.4 aggressive throw percentage, which means passes into coverage where the defender was within one yard or less of the receiver at the time it reached its target. We're going to talk about that later in the show. Scoring droughts. It took Buffalo 29 minutes and 42 seconds to score its first touchdown of the game. Cleveland scored five minutes and 52 seconds into the game. Didn't see the end zone again for almost 50 minutes of clock. Nick Chubb in the first quarter. Seven rushes, two catches, 63 total yards. Nick Chubb the rest of the game. 19 yards on 14 rushes, one catch for five yards. 1.4 yards per carry. Bill's first quarter offense. 15 total yards. Bills the rest of the way, third 342 yards, five scores on five second-half possessions. Linebacker Matt Milano, 12 tackles, 
good for second on the team. Three tackles for loss, tied for first with that Oliver. One sack and one fumble recovery. Linebacker Terrell Dodson, five of seven for 68 yards in coverage. Average depth of target was only 4.6 yards from the line of scrimmage. Christian Benford at cornerback. Four of six for 98 yards in coverage and one touchdown with one penalty that thankfully went to somebody else. Tight end Dawson Knox, seven of seven, which is a team high in both receptions and targets for the Buffalo Bills. 70 yards, three first downs. The Browns tight end group, six of 10 for 58, two red zone drops. Chris, if we're going to start this, first of all, it's good to see you. I didn't know if we'd even get out in order to do this podcast. Oh, yeah. We made it out. We, we survived. Your driveway is an experience. I see. Your, your neighborhood still hasn't been plowed the way mine has. Yeah, well, there's a nice layer of snow and ice on the, on the street. See, the loaders already came and cleared out my neighborhood. What yeah, we, you? we had what... You put a video in the uh, in one of our group chats of the plow coming through. We had that in our name, that same Bobcat. What is that? It's like a... It's a front loader. Front loader. Yeah. With, yeah. That's what we had come down our street. We did see it because I was out snow blowing during the storm and I saw it like coming down the street like for the first time. Like, oh, finally, street's getting plowed. And then I just saw the front end loader just... Dump it in somebody's yard. <laughs> that is kind of the deal. I mean, they, first of all, but I will say this. So, uh, well, first of all, Sunday, let's we'll, raise a glass. We both made it out safe. And right. here's to everybody who suffered, you know? Well, Sunday, pull a little out for the homies. Sunday, let's hear about uh, your I had, experience. Well, Sunday, I had to go to work. Because we didn't have a travel ban Sunday morning. So I had to go to work Sunday. And I left. And that was like when we got the last bit of snow. Yeah. So apparently overnight a plow came through. So I had an, a nice pile at the end of the driveway. So I had to run out there and, and shovel wide enough for my car to, to get out. And then Jessica was going to snow blow the driveway Sunday because I'm at work. Not a whole lot of snow on the uh, on the ground. But apparently our snow blower is the auger squealing. Ah, because you guys didn't buy the Aaron's model, did you? I don't know. It's a, we got it last year. It's been used like four times, hmm. and it's already squealing. Got to get that Aaron's, son. It's the same thing I yelled at Reed for. Remember when Reed brought that? Guys, Last winter, Chris and I gave Reed Ferguson a whole bunch of shit because he went to Home Depot and, like a Southerner, bought like what was basically an electric snow broom. Like yeah. it was that tiny little plastic. Well, we have a we have a <laughs> we. What do we? we and have, then he's like, "Oh wait, there's a snowstorm. I, I'm trying to clear the walkway and it's not working. No shit." <laughs> we have the Toro Power. Max 824. Yeah, don't do that. Snow thrower. No. See, what you do is you go and get yourself an Aaron's. You want to know why? Aaron's is the most expensive model, but they're the also the only one that still has the all-steel chute. So you're talking about all-steel construction. You're talking about one of the most reliable machines. My brother has one that my dad now has. The thing's from fucking, like, the early 90s. It's still kicking. You want to know why? Because it's a quality machine. You take that thing, you set it on fire in your backyard to keep yourself warm during the snowstorm, and then you go buy yourself a proper errands when the snow stops. That's what you do. How much does that cost? Oh, probably about seven, eight, $900. But it's worth every penny. Interesting. So, the snowstorm recap from your perspective, you were snowed in, it's your wife, your wife... Basically, might as well be. You and Jess Benton, how'd it go? The three of y'all cooped up in here. We didn't fight each other. Jess made a... She put a roast in the crock pot. But she, she used... I don't know what all went into making it, but she had 
seen, I think maybe on YouTube or saw somebody like use uh, pickle juice in it. And so she put pickle juice in it and I couldn't stop like picking the meat out of the crock pot. It was so fucking good. So what a fat guy you are. The yeah. highlight of your being snowed in. Yeah. Like the thing you have to talk about is the roast you made. Yeah. I, also, I plowed plowed the driveway a couple of times. But also, this is how crazy Buffalo is. You don't live that far from me. It's like a 10, no. 15 minute drive. But this is how different our experiences were. You got what? Three feet of snow? Three and a half. Three and a half? Yeah. I live five, six minutes away from the stadium. I My, my experience with the storm was completely different. First of all, we have over 65 inches of snow. There's so much snow on top of my roof that at one part of our house, one of our bathrooms, I was in there taking a leak during the Bills game and the drywall just in front of me just cracked. Like I heard a noise. I kind of turned to my left. I'm only two beers in at this point. The Bills are still losing, but it, it's like, all right, they're turning this thing around. The drywall just splits. It's like, well, I can't get up this high with a ladder, so I'm just going to have to mud that and paint it and pretend it didn't happen 60 something inches of snow my six foot fence in the back almost covered i had to shovel a trench for my dogs i had to do that too the kicker for me was the five and a half foot wall of snow that the the, the cats the you know the, the front loaders left at the mouth of my driveway it was three feet wide three feet wide five and a half feet tall of hard packed snow and ice on Saturday morning, my wife got an awesome aerial photo of me out there snow blowing while both of those snow cats are out there, and there's just this wall separating me from them. And then as she's standing there, I start talking to him, and I kind of get into an argument with him about it because I was just like, "Hey, guys, what the? Thanks." And they were like, "Oh, well, you know, it's a pepe," and it was almost like a liar liar situation because I'm yelling at them, and the guy's like. It's starting to get in. He was like, you what? And I was like, I'm not going to do anything about it. There's nothing I can do. I can't climb this thing even if I wanted to because I'm too tired and unathletic. I'm just going to sit back here. I'm going to bitch and moan and I'm going to go inside and drink. And inevitably, I will shovel this thing out. Now, they, they took pity on me after our brief tiffed our argument and they cleared the end of my driveway for me even though apparently that was supposed to be against regulation. See, Chris, that's what that's called having people skills. You have no people skills. Yeah, but sometimes it helps me, right? I thought I'd booze a ton while being locked in. Turns out when you move snow all day and chase a bunch of kids around, I, I'm genuinely too tired to tie one on. Oh, I'm, I definitely made a couple of old fashions and I fell asleep cocktails. every single night, not of my own accord. I'd make like, oh, I'll make a Manhattan and I'll sit on the couch and watch a show. I didn't finish a single drink before falling asleep. I, for me, although maybe this speaks to me also being a fat guy, made my own homemade pizza and wings in the turkey fryer on Sunday, and I think I hit on something. Guys, Q42 barbecue sauce. It's out there. It's for sale. If there's anybody barbecue aficionados that you're a friend of, Q42. Get a hold of Iman. I used that sauce, a little bit of Frank's, and I mixed it with some of uh, the C the Yulberg brought us each a bottle of it. The Cajun yep. two step, the the seasoning. That wing sauce was the best thing. It's the best. Those are the best wings I've had in a long time. Barbill esque. I didn't get the crisp just down, but I'm close. Like it was incredible. And then one of the things I love, we heard at the top of the show. This is the second time that people in this community pitched in to get our players out of their homes and to the airport to leave for a football game in my adult life. How cool is that? Very cool. Like, Chris, we are the city of good neighbors. We are. The whole idea is that, well, everybody has everybody's back. Yeah, but you know who we definitely have the backs of more? Our football players. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, we put those guys on our backs when necessary. And so in that way, it shouldn't be a shock to anybody that some guy who doesn't know much but knows that, hey, I like watching the Buffalo Bills, goes, you know who they can't play without is Josh Allen. You know what I should probably do? I should probably go dig that guy out with some heavy equipment. <laughs> yeah. 
Imagine, imagine the way though when they mention him during the broadcast and then they're arguing whether Squirrel is his real name. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. When he's talking about how his phone broke, how many phone calls? If they mention Chris Krueger during a Bills game, do you think you're going to get? Um, my mom will call me. It's probably about it. Because <laughs> you don't. Because you don't. You don't have people skills. That's not that I don't have people skills. I don't like being friends with anyone. It's hard for you to talk to me every week, isn't it? It's hard to look at you. God, because you're you. ugly. I'd like to come over there and kiss you on the... F- oh, just grab your face, kiss your cheek. No, please don't. <laughs> oh, I love it. You're the best. No, that's what this city's all about. Like, this whole storm, really, again, brand new neighborhood. I just, I see it. I see signs of it everywhere. I'm like, I, I just like the way Buffalo comes together under circumstances like this. I see it locally. I see it in my new neighborhood. I saw it in my old neighborhood. I see it on TV. I see it with this football team. It It's something that I hope I can teach my son. It's like, hey, man, when things get rough, we come together. That's what you do. Because you live in a place where sometimes the way, like Brett Coleman's reaction to that photo of that truck stuck in a snowbank 10 feet off the ground. Yeah. Sometimes crazy shit will happen here with snow. You can't fight it. All you can do is work together to get out of it. When you live in a place like that, you have no choice but to have some camaraderie. Because if you don't, and you don't band together, even if I hate you, I'll still do something for you. Because as much as I don't, maybe don't like you, maybe don't know you, you're here. I'm here. We're all part of this tribe. And in that way, we all got to make it out of this thing. Or else I'll feel a certain amount of responsibility. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this place special. Like, I just, I love it. And I love that these younger players get to see this and get to experience what this is. Yeah, Eric Wood was talking around on the radio today about how, like, he remembers that game where they had to fly to Detroit the last time. For the Jet game. During the last November. And it was just, it, it was a big deal. It was a big thing for him personally because he's like, that's the community. That's why this place has always been special to me, because I, I get to see these people who are willing to come up in ATVs and come out with shovels in hand to help us dig out of our own homes just so we can go play a game because that's how much they care about it. I'm happy the, the message resonated with the Buffalo Bills and they came away with this one with a win. In recapping this thing, I've broken it down into some categories, the good, the bad and the ugly. I want to start with the good. The good was second-half Josh Allen. The first quarter of this game, Chris, worst performance by our offense all season, correct? Lack of practice this week? Maybe. Also, worst performance. That that goes back to his like rookie year, the way that they were playing. Yep. It was absurd. I haven't seen our offense look that rudderless in a long fucking time. I don't care if you didn't practice this week. You shouldn't look like that at this point in any of your careers. Between the coaches, the quarterback, the offensive line, it, it was enraging enough that I didn't drink a ton during this game, so I didn't have to rewatch it because I remember a lot. Because I was like, my kids are home. My kids are home. I'm trapped in the house with them. I don't want this to turn into The Shining. <laughs> I can't start dipping into the booze just because I'm frustrated. Chris, how disappointing is it that in a game where the only thing your opponent did well was opening half scripted drives, the Bills came to this game flatter than cardboard? Yeah, it was a... I can't believe how well the Browns came out. What was it, Brissett at over 300 yards passing? 354. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. That was... So luckily, second half Josh Allen got his shit together. He strung together completions. I had the chart. You can go to Pro Football Reference, download the play-by-play-by-play chart. It's one of my favorite things to do. You, it puts it in exp- Chris, you know I'm a spreadsheet guy. Yeah. It puts it in Excel format for you. You can filter it. I usually filter like by a player, by a name. I go, okay, show me all the plays Josh Allen had, and then you filter out the first quarter. If you just looked at those plays... Completions, completions, very few incompletions at all to be had. Almost all of his incompletions came in that early quarter. It was ugly. 
But after that, he hit his stride, and all of a sudden he was the quarterback behind a team that you think, oh, that's a Super Bowl winning team. That's a team that can score more than anybody. That's a team that should. Like at one point they showed a metric on the, on the screen. They're like, well, the Bills lead the NFL in all these offensive categories. I was like, it doesn't fucking matter. That doesn't matter if you're not getting the W. This week they found a way to make it work for them. I don't know. I just And Josh Hanlon finding himself in that second half. You know, it took that last kind of gasp drive in the, sec, in the first half to really get on the scoreboard. But then he came out in the second half and showed a sense of command of the offense. And even though they weren't scoring touchdowns, they were at least getting down there and they were at least getting points on the board. That brings me to the next one. Long snapper Reed Ferguson. And I mean, I guess, I guess Tyler Bass. I guess, I guess we'll talk about Tyler Bass in conjunction with it. Correct or incorrect? Correct. I'll, I, Texted Reed yesterday. I said, "Is that the most work you've ever done in a Bills uniform?" And he wrote, he texted me back. Definitely one of my busier days. <laughs> <laughs> like, first of all, the early punts—that has to suck. Yeah. Right? Then you go out and Tyler Bass ties his own franchise record, and he's tied with Chris Christie. So. The two of them hold the record. Six field goals in one game is the most. Do you want to try that again? What? Did I say Chris Christie? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no! Not the fat governor from New Jersey. Yeah. Not the guy. Who, I don't think he can bang one from 56. I don't think that guy can bang one from 10. Or can women. He lift his, can can <laughs> he lift his leg high enough to kick? Sorry, no. guys. These are all fat jokes. I'm punching down now. Can't oh, look. Hey, hey, you know what he can do? He can collaborate with local government to shut down a, a throughway. Yeah. Can can you get the kicker's <laughs> name right? This might make up. It's not going to make up for Steve, Steve Tasker. Steve there Christie. you go. I know. Yeah. Steve Steve Christie. One of the all-time greats. One of the all-time greats. You know, Chris Christie. Yes. <laughs> also one of the all-time greats for New Jersey. <laughs> Out of all the things that have ever sucked about New Jersey, he might be one of like the top 15. Him, he he's he's listen. He doesn't suck as much as Bruce Springsteen does, but oh, Chris Christie's up there. <laughs> I know we talked about it to start the show, just to break this up for a second. But the guy that broke the news about Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin quote tweeted him. This is news to me, John. Nice sources with a bunch of emojis. That's hilarious. Watch it still happen. Yes, he's just mad that it got broke. Yes, so. Here's here's what I know. Tyler Bass is a weapon for this Bills team. At home, you don't really get to see that as much. And they've also been... Don't you think they've been kind of conservative with how they've used him this year? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. Like, if I'm looking at this, like, I right now I pull up Pro Football Reference and I go, okay, show me kicking and punting. Tyler Bass, give me your game logs. So in terms of field goal attempts, field goals attempted, he's, like, in Minnesota he had three and that was counting the last ditch, oh, my God, we have to force overtime kick. Realistically, they were only going to kick two. 
This Bills team has not prioritized kicking field goals, even though they know their kicker has a giant leg. Going to this game, what, one, two, 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 three, two, one, two, one, six? First of all, kudos to our offense for moving the ball well enough to get in that range. What is the difference, though, do you think, between them like just being like, fine, fucking let it, let it fly, kid. Kick it from 54. Why? I don't care. You're good. I heard, uh, Lo- I think Lofton in the broadcast said something about that 56-yarder, like, oh, I don't know why they're kicking here. They should punt. I did catch and that. Then, and, then, and then afterwards, he's like, just like I said, they should kick the field goal. Yeah, and then Bass, like, that looked like it would have been good from over to 60. Well, didn't the Lions make a 62-yarder? In the, I, or the Browns? Don't know. Somebody made a 62-yarder. I saw that. Call in if you know. But either way. How nice is it for Tyler Bass that he has this game in this building and now we're going to go back there and play a week later? Dude already has the balls. Like, he has to walk bow-legged. Like, it's like he just got off a horse. That's how big his balls are walking into that contest. Because he's like, dude, I hit it from 54. You want to see me hit it from 60? I'll do it. During warm-ups, Chris, want to make a Seagram's bet? During warm-ups, he tries at least one from midfield. Just one, just to see if he can do it. Probably. I think when uh, the Lions had Matt Prater as their kicker, he had a couple from 60. Yeah. No, I absolutely expect him to be a weapon next week. And I think that this this performance he had this week, first of all, great job by Reed, great job by Sam Martin, great job by Tyler, just everyone being on the same page. To do something that many times and not have a misfire, that it shows you how down they have this to a science. But also, it's got to make both his confidence in his leg and also the team's confidence in utilizing him that much stronger. Speaking of which, the biggest one for me, safety valve Dawson Knox. One of the biggest complaints anybody has had about the Bills this season is the fact that outside of Diggs, nothing is reliable about this Bills offense. In this game, the most reliable piece to our offense, the quiet motor that kept most drives on schedule once they got rolling was a guy that everyone's been carping about in terms of not earning his keep in tight end Dawson Knox. Six of his seven completions were short routes designed to be a safety valve more than attacking plays by the offense. And all of his targets, except for two, came on first or second down. And first and second and ten. They weren't designed to be, quote-unquote, the play. But on every single one of them, He had three yards, nine yards, seven yards. He was setting them up for more manageable second and third downs at a time when really nothing was going right. And then once the run game picked up, you saw him get his number called downfield, and he makes that great catch to get the Bills in the red zone. Chris, remember how quickly they just were like, well, that's a fumble. Hopefully replay shows otherwise. That ref crew sucked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you said I had, it. I had some you had, things. You had I had some, some things in our group chat. Can we? Can I say it? Depends. Which one? The the one where you said you, about the official that you hope his wife is cheating on him <laughs> while he's on the road for games. I, go, I hope that this guy's wife is sleeping with somebody else right now while he's refing this game. <laughs> That's how mad I am about this. Because you could tell the way they were officiating this thing. It's like they defer to the Browns first, and then they're like, all right, I guess we have to give one to Buffalo. Like, it's just, it was pathetic. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But either way, then look at the individual effort on that third down conversion in the first half. Knox really was the catalyst for a lot of what we were doing. Yep. He didn't get any of the press. He doesn't get a ticker tape parade. Like, And also, I think it's worth noting when you go back through the box score and the PFF numbers, I don't know if it's that they finally decided to feature him as a complimentary receiver. I mean, I'm not going to go back and watch all that tape. I've got kids. I've got a life. But it's worth noting that he took zero pass block reps. Remember the thing we've been told all year? Well, Dawson Knox is out there, but they're keeping him in. They're keeping him into pass block. They're doing that. Guess what? He was on the field for all but two of our passing plays. He went out for routes as a receiver on every single one of them. They didn't. 
against a team with two premier pass rushers, they said, you know what we need is more outlets. We need safety valves. Guess what? It worked. Holy shit, Ken Dorsey. You're figuring it out. I don't know. Do, do, do you think that that's the team realizing they need to feature him more as an asset? They should. Do, do you, you're paying him like he's one. I want to see him for our Seagram's bet that we have, the career Dawson Knox Seagram's bet. Anytime he's hero of the game, you got to drink a Seagram's. He was almost hero of the game in this one because he's the only thing that worked consistently. Now, there's the bad. Now, this game still had some bills and brownsiness to it. Like, we were relatively lucky this year that this wasn't the typical shit show that we've gotten used to over the years. We dissected it all last week. And at the same time, there were still some things and some moments that reminded you of something either out of a movie or out of a Juco playbook. First of all, the officiating. Fuck that guy. What was his name, Chris? I forgot. I've already forgot. I don't care. Like I said, I hope his wife's cheating on him. Like, that's, that's how angry I was in the moment. <laughs> I... I I love it when people point out, they go, Drew, it's weird because you have some really specific hate. Like, you have some really specific detritus that you level at people who upset you. Yeah. I don't know. I like to think outside the box. I like to think of real world things like people like, I hope that guy gets hit by a car. No, no, no. That's too easy. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I hope that her husband is on the road so much that that guy's wife is like, you know what? He he not only is a is a bad ref. But also, he's not hes not fun. He's never around. He's always on the road on weekends. Eh. <laughs> Chris is a guy. Not to break down the fourth wall here, but as a guy who's been stepped out on. Yeah. does it? It's still funny to you, right? Yeah. All right. So anyone who's getting in their feelings about this, knock it off. Chris finds it funny. He's my litmus test. <laughs> but look at it. The Greg Newsom injury. Tell me that's not something that shouldn't happen to most teams. Yeah. That gave me Friday vibes. Like, well, you like, got, you like Craig, he cracked how you his head get, in, in like walkthrough. Craig, how you going to get fired in your day off? Hey, Greg, how you going to get concussed during a walkthrough? How does that happen to... Like, Chris, that doesn't happen to most football teams, right? No. Happened to the Browns. The Naheem Hines designed run play? I have it in my game notes. I was like, you take that play and fire it into the goddamn sun. You you have Gabe Davis yeah, you is can, supposed to block Jadavian Clowney. You can come up with a better play call for Naheem Hines. <laughs> We're going to give you one play. It's a play where it's kind of a reverse to you. Oh, by the way, a wide receiver is going to block a, a giant defensive end. <laughs> yeah. How about everything A.J. Epinesa does? He only played six snaps in this game. I watched him get close to a snap on the play where Brissett took off and ran. He had him in the pocket, had him dead to rights, slipped and just fell down. Just fell down. It's like, damn it, anything, like, he he stinks. Yeah. Chris, J.K. Dobbins or A.J. Epinesa, who would you rather have right now? Mm. <laughs> Remember Well, that? right now it's a toss-up because... Dobbins, I, I think he's still suffering from his ACL injury. Or if he has a new injury. I know he hasn't... I haven't heard his name much. Either way, watching him play football is a struggle. Like, I get it. He's a part of this football team. He plays a role. But Jesus Christ. Chris, he has at least one missed tackle in all of the last six football games. There's something wrong with this guy that it's just like, look, you're not... Makes sense. It's not that you're not an NFL football player. I'm sure somebody has a depth role for you somewhere, but you're not. On my perfect idea of a Super Bowl winning team, A.J. Epinesa is nowhere near it. He doesn't come anywhere near my championship football team. Do you see him as an asset for any other team in the NFL? No. Do you think he's... uh... I think he's been... When do we have to pick up his fifth year? Shaq Lawson outplayed him. Yeah. When do we have to pick up his fifth? Is it after this season? We don't. He was a second-round pick. We just let him oh, walk. The, okay. So he's only on a four-year deal. Yes. So is this his third? He's got one more? I believe so. All I right. I don't even know if he has that, if he keeps playing like this. This is fucking ridiculous. 
Yeah, you you would hope he was projected as what a top twenty pick, and then he fell to wherever we were picking. <sighs> and then there's the ugly that came out of this football game. Chris hit me with it. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. The first one is that because of this football game, I was subjected to texts from, and I love this guy, so don't get me wrong, but James Potter, I'm one of the best, I'm a co-best man in his wedding, he's been our, been a season ticket holder with me since the beginning, since we bought our tickets, Chris, you're part of the crew, yeah, I'm getting text messages in the middle of this game from Potter, who's on a trip to Detroit because he had himself a weekend. While we were getting snowed in in Buffalo, he and his fiance decided to take a trip to Cleveland. To right, see, no, I saw the pictures. It's Columbus. To see Russell, or Columbus, to see Russell Dickerson. I don't know what that is. He's a, it's funny. It's hilarious you say that. He's a country singer, apparently, who looks exactly like you. Pomade in his hair. What was his name? Russell Dickerson. He looks almost exactly like Chris. Stupid pomade in his hair. Got some skinny jeans on with work boots. It's not real country. It's pop music with some drawl and a little steel guitar thrown in to trick all the roofs into thinking that it's country. I mean, it, I can I can back the, uh, this guy looks nothing like me. He's got better hair than you. No, he doesn't. Yeah, okay. No. The, See, that the, right there tells yeah. me you're jealous. Like, No, his hair, his hair looks like shit. And his jawline, like his jawline is like way too defined. It's almost like how Tom Brady's looks now. <laughs> post, post, uh, post Botox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can back the the venue that Potter was at. I've been to that venue. They have an indoor and an outdoor concert space. I've been to both. Here's what I hate about it, though. It's country music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy, that genre of music, it has all the emotional depth of Yellow Card. Uh, what? Story One of, of your the favorite year. bands. Story of the Year. Chris, what other shitty pop punk bands can you think of? Uh, falling in Reverse. <laughs> They're all saying words that sound sad or sound emotional, but there's no actual feeling to it. Like country music, when you think about what that's supposed to be, the best of it, it's genuinely bittersweet because, I don't know, it's like real life and then it's self-deprecating. It's painfully honest and it's written about emotions that the people who are singing it lived and felt just instead of just like abstract concepts that they thought might sell a record. Do yourselves a favor. Go listen to the song Rock and Roll by Cody Jenks. Okay. That song puts a lump in my throat whenever I hear it because it was written by a guy who was in a spot that like not only is palpable, but I've been there before. I was sitting in a shitty hotel room in California with a wife and kid at home staring at an unopened bottle of Evan Williams. And I truly understood what that song was about. That's what country music is. Not some song about the way a girl's hair smells or some love song that says the words but doesn't tell you how crushing the reality of being in love actually feels. Because the guy singing it hasn't experienced that shit. Some... Some promoter, some record exec, somebody got in his ear and told him, hey, if you dress like this and you put a little twang in this, people will eat that shit up. I'm sorry. I snapped. <laughs> Chris, I went down a rabbit hole there. I'm sorry. Nobody deserves that. And It's not me. Potter owes you guys an apology. It's his fault that I'm here talking about this. But either way. They decided, they went out there, they got snowed in. They were like, Jesus, the roads are terrible. I obviously can't cut back through the 90 to get back. So where are we going to go? Well, fuck it. We'll go to the game. Tickets are $10 to $30. We'll go to the game. Detroit's how many hours? Three? Maybe another? From Columbus? Yeah. I'll have to give it a goog. Okay. So either way. I got texts from him throughout the game, especially as he got more intoxicated. He says, beers are only $13. Also, this is the nicest stadium I've ever been a part of. In fact, 
I'll read one to you. James Potter. I can only imagine. I, you said, I think you put a screenshot and sent it to me. He says at 4.34 after the game ended, no lie, our parking, our stadium, our seating, all garbage. This was by far the most enjoyable game ever. Comfortable, accessibility, etc. Not trying to sound like a, he said a hitch because he's been drinking. <laughs> you know yep. what he meant. But Buffalo needs to get over the, you come to play here in the weather, fuck off, get a roof. I just responded to him. I go, guess what, Cupcake? It ain't happening. They decided that five months ago. <laughs> yeah, three hours and 15 minutes from Columbus, Ohio to Detroit, Michigan. Like, look at this. I guess my thing is, it's not his fault. How could it be? You have this new, shiny, comfortable thing in front of you when you're not used to it, and it seems like a good time. At the same time, the Lions. Chris, can you Google for me the last time they won a playoff game? These Nin people don't have a choice. 1990, I think, is the year. They are perennial losers. They've been irrelevant to the NFL landscape since Barry Sanders. And even then, they were a novelty, not a real winning franchise. So they have to give their fans a super comfortable, super cushy experience just to get them to show up every Sunday. They beat because the Dallas Cowboys 38-6 to <clears throat> in the 1992 playoffs. That's the last win? Yes. Okay. Division round. So you have to make something worth showing up for, right? Yeah. And the worst part is it's not going to get better anytime soon. I'm sorry. I, I will not give up on what our stadium is just because it's not as cushy as the Detroit thing. And Potter, I love you, but that take was hot garbage. I will take our outdoor stadium that's slightly covered over anything that's going on in the Detroit area whatsoever. Also, the backups playing coverage for this team were hideous. The Bills' depth, depth players have gotten a lot of reps this season, and the results have varied. I mean, the game illustrated a few things about them. The stats I read off earlier in the show for Benford and Dodson, that's the crux of our issues as a football team. Like, over the last few weeks, when you think about what's gone wrong... It's guys in key moments, young guys who haven't been able to make it happen. They're being put into a premier spot and they can't respond. Benford wasn't horrible, but he gave up a touchdown to the Browns number one receiver and got burned on another ball to People Jones late in the game. The damage wasn't incredible, but between his struggles and just the grabbiness, like he, he got flagged, but luckily so did Dane Jackson and they shifted the flag from him to the other guy. Like, he, 85 yards and a touchdown and forced just one incompletion? Like, that's not good. That's not good. That's not starting caliber outside corner. We all love Benford at the start of the season, right? Yeah. Great, because he was rotating in. The moment you said, hey, go start a game against two decent boundary-wide receivers, shit tightened up. Amari Cooper is a hell of a veteran. Yeah. He knows his shit. And that's a tough ask. And the kid showed he's a little bit in over his head. And then, I, like, you look at Dane Jackson. Look at him. Dane Jackson was screwed. That one completion he gave up to Amari Cooper where he doesn't even turn around for the ball. Yeah. Like, that's elementary football. You can see that we as just a team need to get better at outside corner if we're going to get back to playing consistently sound defense for four quarters. Terrell Dodson, I mean, he's just a byproduct of his limited athleticism. He shouldn't be out there. Not with this defense. I imagine he should be playing defense for a team like the Houston Texans. That's who you should be starting for, not the Buffalo Bills. I mean, look at... Chris, anybody who watched him, remember that game against the Dolphins in 2020? Milano and Edmonds were both banged up. <clears throat> so Klein and Dodson ended up playing middle linebacker and weak side linebacker. And they just got beat like a drum by Ryan Fitzpatrick in the second half of that game. It was embarrassing. We knew then that neither one of these guys have coverage jobs. Like, the craziest part about Dodson's day is that all of his 68 yards that he allowed, like 67, let's be honest, came after the catch. That's terrible. 
That means that these guys are literally throwing it in front. Like his average depth of target was only four yards. That's where he's standing. They threw it directly in front of your face, and you let these guys just run away from you. His athleticism and his instincts are just not there. He's not what you want as a backup middle linebacker. I don't know. They're just throwing it in front of him and asking him to make plays, and they won't. He won't. He can't. That's what generates text messages like this. Jeff Pollock, buddy from softball, listener of the show. I get a text out of nowhere from him. I haven't talked to him in I don't even know how long. He texts me at 3.03 p.m. to say, we had a conversation last year about paying either Oliver or Edmonds. I want to take back my take and say pay Edmonds over Oliver. Edmonds impacts the game way more, I think, by what he takes away. Boom! Boom shakalaka. Now, we go we go down the thing, and I'm just like, hey, Oliver isn't terrible, but I watch. Chris, don't you see more disruptive tackles than at Oliver? Mm. He's above average. Yeah. But is he, does he deserve Aaron Donald money? No. I don't think anybody deserves Aaron Donald money. Does he deserve Indomitian Sue and his prime money? Probably not. Mm hmm. So, I don't know. That'll so, be a. So what are you extending this guy for then? Like, he's giving you slightly above it, but he's not going to accept it. He's giving you slightly above average defensive tackle play, but he's not going to give you, he's not going to accept slightly above average pay. You can't do that. Meanwhile, Tremaine Edmonds, like the cover one guys all week. I've already seen it. I've seen the tweets from Greg Thompson. They're going to bang the drum about how they were all in on the Ed- Edmonds train and how they've been telling everyone how important he is. It's not new. But I think it's like when you dump a girl who nagged you a bunch, but did all your grocery shopping and cleaned your apartment. Like things seem cool as shit when you're out at the bar until one o'clock in the morning. You don't have anybody to answer to. And when you're like, oh, I can literally do anything I want. I can make any number of grotesque mistakes. I can go home with a random broad. I can hit on any woman I see, and there's no consequences because I'm a single man. And then Saturday morning comes around, and you're hungover, and there's no food in the fridge, and now you're wearing sunglasses, walking around the produce section at Wegmans, and trying not to curse out everybody around you, and you go, man, this sucks. Which player do you think is going to put us in that position faster? Losing Oliver or losing Edmonds? Because we've seen what now what this looks like without Edmonds. Yeah, he seems to be... The whole defense works, or it seems to work when we have all of our linebackers healthy. Like, look at this. Hamlin, who I think has been the best of the bunch. Cam Lewis, Jaquan Johnson, Terrell Terrell Benford, Terrell Dodson... They all have been injected into the mix here for this Bills defense, and you suddenly see teams that can and will make plays simply by targeting the middle of the defense and waiting for them to miss tackles. That was never a problem before. When you had higher... uh, Jesus Christ, the beers. Poyer, Hyde, Edmonds, Milano. That core in the center of the field, it was a no-fly zone. You were teams were forced to funnel all their passing to the boundaries. Now, teams know they can steal on us there because of our inexperience, our youth, our lack of athleticism. In order for us to get back to being the dominant defensive unit that we were and that people have gotten used to, they need to figure that out. And it comes down to the fact that, like, think about it, the mistakes that some of these guys have made. Jaquan Johnson taking bad angles against the Jets. They gave a big place. Cam Lewis not knowing to knock the ball away on fourth and 18. Every one of these rookies has gotten a shot to step up. They've all failed. Like, we're being exposed in this regard, and it's it's killing our football team. Now, eventually, if the Bills, like, you're hoping everything comes around, right? I think our weekly conversations with Alfartiaga have shown that, like, the Dolphins, they got beat up in the secondary. And their defensive coordinator changed his approach to help support what the cornerbacks were doing. They went from man to zone, four-man rush, we'll trade for Bradley Chubb and hope that's enough. It's working. Or at least it's at least they're winning football games. I have to hope 
that if the Bills can't get healthy and stay healthy in the middle of that defensive core, Frazier has some pivots in mind. Because the typical Bills zone defense cannot survive against the league's best passers with those backups playing the current system. They got shredded by Jacoby Brissett. What do you think Patrick Mahomes is going to do in the playoffs? Carve everyone up. You can't have this. So it's going to come down to the coaches figuring that out. And that brings us to the hero and zero of the game. There's nobody I can give the hero to except for Matt Milano here. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. Chris, Von Miller gets paid a lot of money. Lots. In this game, he had nine pressures, and every single one of them was credited as a quarterback hurry. That's the type of disruption you want to see from your highly paid defensive end, right? Yes. But the guy whose fingerprints were all over every facet of this wind is Matt Milano. Tackles for loss, sacks, pass breakups. He's great in coverage. Their their tight end group not getting a ton in the passing game. Matt Milano, Demar Hamlin, like him passing guys off to Demar Hamlin. It's it's incredible how good Matt Milano is. Now think back to that Jets game. How many one read passes we gave up up the seams to Garrett Wilson. Yeah, to tight ends, to, to Matt Milano, like Brett Coleman talks about him all the time as defensive player of the year who will never be voted defensive player of the year. Matt Milano, he might be our best defensive player, bar none, even with Von Miller taken into account. Would you agree or disagree with that? Agree. The games he plays in, we win a lot of them, don't we? Yeah. Even without Tremaine Edmonds, he can cover up for a lot of things. At a certain point, do you start thinking, maybe we need to re-sign him? Like, they they signed him to that three-year bridge deal, and then they drafted Benford. And I think maybe the idea was, well, when... I almost feel like they've created another safety situation for themselves. Like, you've been trying to draft between Saran Neal between Jaquan Johnson, between uh, Demar Hamlin, between some of these other guys that have come and gone, you've tried to go out and get replacements for Hayden Poyer, and you haven't been able to do it since 2017. You got one. <laughs> What'd you say? You got one. What, Hamlin? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you found one. Do you think at a certain point they're going to look at the linebacker group and go, fuck, this is the guy. This is the straw that stirs the drink for everything we want to do. We can't let him leave. Yeah. Who does that come at the expense of? Somebody. But he's playing so well that we can't afford to lose him. We can't afford to not have him on the field. He's that good. And thank God we had him on Sunday. The zero this week, that's offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Chris, when a team starts the game with, I think it was like, what, like 12 yards through the first quarter? Something like that. Who do you blame? Do you blame the quarterback who's supposed to be an MVP candidate? I would blame... Your thousand-yard wide receiver? I would blame lack of practice. Okay. Whose job is it to put together an approach that takes into account a lack of practice? That would be Ken Dorsey. That would be Ken Dorsey. But he also did a... I thought the run game was pretty sweet. We haven't really seen a run game like that. Eventually. Yeah. Eventually, he figured... It took halftime. It took halftime, and it also took something else that really... It was a bad look and got people buzzing on social media. A losing Bills team on the field will our star wide receiver who's been labeled the diva by NFL pundits... Goes to the sideline and has a heated, animated exchange, even though I give him credit, it was composed, but a heated exchange with head coach Sean McDermott. It's amazing that you have those types of things with like a quarterback, and it's like, oh, look, the guy's trying to fire his team up. And then when a wide receiver does it, oh, that guy's a diva. 
get him out of there. He's a me guy. Well, here's what I like about it. And this is what I, I guess, I not, not even like, but this is what I took away. First of all, he's a competitor. Yeah. You're never going to shut that off. The fact that he's not fighting with Allen, right? Because you've seen that. You've seen quarterbacks and wide receivers. You've seen Tom Brady yelling at his offensive line. Yep. He's not, his bone to pick is not with Josh Allen. His bone to pick, like, I think the fact that he went to McDermott tells me that he doesn't believe Josh is the problem and that he doesn't have a direct line to the guy who is the problem. Who do you think that is? He could have picked up the phone and talked to Dorsey. Can he, though? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I wonder. He can go to the sideline and pick up the phone. Can he pick up the phone, though? And that's my question. What's going on here? Why does your wide receiver feel so alienated that instead of going and picking up the phone, he's not getting in the face of his quarterback, he's not going and picking up the phone, instead he's going to the head of the snake and going, listen, I listen, I trust me, you see our DMs? Yeah. I was DMing with uh, a friend of the show, guest in the show, uh, Ken McCusick. Yeah. From the uh, Ravens Film Study. Mm-hmm. I told him, I don't have time for bureaucracy. So when it comes to the way Blue Wire's laid out, I know that they have guys that we're supposed to go to with questions. Instead, I circumvent all of these middle managers and just go straight to the head of operations. Why? Because I don't have the patience for bureaucracy. I'm assuming that Stefan Diggs feels the same way. When he has questions, I want to go to the guy. And I want to ask him, why the fuck does this guy who works for you, why do I have no targets? They're not even trying to get me the football. What is the conversation that's taking place? And Sean McDermott did an excellent job of managing the situation. But also, you're talking about the fact that well, what he's the team at the time has six points with no targets for digs and just one completion for double-digit yards. He's a guy who doesn't give a fuck about anything but winning. He's proven that throughout his career. And when he's watching his team just stagnate offensively, generating nothing through the air against a team that has a bunch of backup cornerbacks where he knows he's open, he's questioning, why the fuck am I not the focal point of this attack? Right now, we need a spark. Why isn't it me? Whose fault is it that that conversation has to take place? Dorsey. Fucking right it is. This dude needs to get his head out of his ass. Our red zone offense wasn't stellar. It's almost like you hate Dorsey more than you hated Dable. I never thought I would see the day. Never thought I would see the day. We would, we'll never have an offensive coordinator in here that you actually like. And we're going to have several over the course of Allen's career because he's going to get that guy head coaching jobs. Not Ken Dorsey. He might get Ken Dorsey fired, but I don't know. Because I'll tell you what, this performance this past week, that first half, cannot happen. They're lucky it happened against the Browns. True or false? True. Okay. Any other team in football, they probably get drilled on yeah. this. So, you can't come into a week that flat. And also, what you can't do, great for Tyler Bass to kick six field goals. A couple of them were from inside the 20. We continue to be one of the worst red zone teams in football. That's on Ken Dorsey. I just, I don't understand what we're doing here. And you can feel the season starting to slip away. Like we're going to talk about in the AFC's roundup show this week. The number one seed might be a pipe dream now. Based on Sunday Night Football. Could be. We need some help. Your offensive coordinator is regressing week over week. It's ugly. Your quarterback's hurt. You still don't know who the fuck your slot receiver is, and you're not giving him any options. The slot, unless Stephon Diggs is running from it, is almost an ignored part of the offense. Remember Cole Beasley? Heard of him. Yeah. Remember how easy he made his job look? Yeah, yeah. No one has picked up the reins. But our offensive coordinator isn't putting them in positions to succeed. It's just, it's all bad. It's all terrible, and it starts with him. And um, 
it's now him. He's now in the he's now in the barrel that I used to reserve specifically for Brian Dable. Except I'm not losing any stake bets on this guy because he sucks. <sighs> all right, now that I've gotten it all off my chest, Chris, your final thoughts on this game before we end this thing. Win is a win. On to Detroit. Let's win that. Have a couple turkey legs. Fight your brothers in the kitchen. And then uh, your brothers learn about diversity from Iman and Bridget. <laughs> I look at this like this. Warren Zevon has a cover of Steve Winwood's song, Back in the High Life Again. I'm not going to sing it for you because I'm getting a cold. And also because, I don't know, I just... Do we need to call my best friend Bruce Nolan and get him to sing it? Oh, dude, I'll crush him. In a, uh, I will crush him. Let's see now I'm all fired up. I couldn't help but feel that the tone was perfect for this win and how I feel in the aftermath. Go listen to the song, Back in the High Life Again by Warren Zevon. We won, and it feels nice, but there's a whole lot of melancholy there, given that there's still serious issues with this Bills team. I... Offensive fluctuations and variances in execution that aren't what we're used to seeing from this franchise under with Josh Allen under center. We know our quarterback is hurt. We know he's suffering. We know that he's trying to win these games. But we're also watching him like make uncharacteristic mistakes. These are all like he's the rock that this church is built on. To see him faltering like this. It makes me question everything. And so, well, we're back in the high life again, and we're here, we're celebrating this victory. I don't know. Maybe one day. Maybe one day it'll be great, and people will talk about us in NFL circles like we were the Bills who were supposed to be Super Bowl favorites. But it's going to take a lot of heavy lifting by everybody involved. The coaching staff, the quarterback, this co- this coordinator, who I, I swear to God, Chris, I, I I don't know. He's no Ted Marshabrota. Yep. He he's failed that litmus test. I don't know. There's just a lot to fix here. But we take the win. We move on to Detroit. <sighs> we just hope they can they can turn this into a streak before the season really gets away from us. Guys, we've got shows coming up over the next day or two. AFC's roundup. Our week eleven preview or week twelve preview on Thanksgiving. It's gonna be a lot of fun, but for tonight we gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. This has been your Rock Pile Report.